good morning still, at least where I am, because it's 11.33 a.m. on Saturday morning, June the 24th, 2023, here in Mountain Standard Time, Scompton, Utah. And I don't know what you're up to. You might be still rolling out of bed. I'm going to go to Tractor Supply and I'm going to get that new fertilizer, Dan. I'm going to lay down feed for next winter, Dan. I'm going to prepare the crops for the harvest and the harvest for the land, Dan. I'm going to make way for the wheat, but let the chaff fall by the wayside. I'm going to identify the tares so they are not part of the chosen. Yeah. But it is Saturday, and it is, I think, still June the 24th. If you can believe it, I have a little bit of a lisp because of some reason that has to do with technology or science or other sorts of things that involve the motion of the planets. And I'm drinking some coffee in the hope that it kind of keeps me straight. But I will tell you there is a land beyond this one. If you have the courage to find yourself in Grinkentown. Yeah. Leave that story for another day. So, I want to be really clear on my view about the Ukraine war. I have no good, trustworthy, first-hand evidence that much of anything that they're telling us about it is true. It doesn't mean that it's all a lie. It's just I can't truly tell you how much of that war is real. It could be a real war in the sense of still a war that was probably brought about through antagonism and brought about through the behavior of NATO and through the coup d'etat in 2014 against the elected Ukrainian government, that all of this was a result of behavior on the part of mainly Washington, D.C. and NATO. And that, yeah, Putin obviously has a part to play because he decided to invade. So you could say, well, NATO's bad and Putin's bad and there are no heroes. And that can all be true. That could all be true. Maybe that last part is the critical part. There are no heroes. Let's play pretend for a moment. And let's pretend that this Wagner paramilitary, um, you know, mercenary corporation, army for hire, went along with their corporate overlord, Prigozhin, for some reason, what he must be, 
It's, it can't just be money because it would take a lot of money. It's like people saying, well, you know that mistake the Pentagon made with six billion? Yeah, I know about the six billion mistake. I heard about it. They've made trillions of dollars in mistakes. They make trillions of dollars in mistakes. They will forever make them. So I've heard about the six billion. Would that be enough to purchase what would be roughly equivalent to a division to a corps worth of logistics and infantry support? And that would probably include indirect fires, artillery tanks, all the stuff you'd need to keep that little army going. Would six billion be enough? And I, I just don't think so. I, I could be wrong, but I think the number's too small. Um, so let's pretend that the Ukraine war is real and that for some stupid reason, the CIA convinced Prigozhin to turn his guns towards Putin, essentially. And it would kind of make sense given the way it's playing out, because at first it was like, well, I'm opposed to the military high command, which is kind of a glancing, indirect, not quite a direct threat upon Putin. And then it's evolved into this sort of story where, well, no, it's really about Putin and we got to fight back and everybody should join in. If the CIA is behind this, and it seems like they could very well be, and if this is another attempt at a kind of color revolution, here's what you need to know, in my opinion, if this is real. If the Ukraine war is real, and this is real. They have to win. It's one of those situations where if you think this is real, then Putin's life is completely in danger. It's not a fantasy. It's not random. If it takes the smartest smart bomb they have, they have to win. If they don't win, then it's not just that they lose a battle, they lose the whole situation. In my opinion, the entire Central Intelligence Agency unravels if they don't win. So this is big, this is big stakes. If you think this is real, you have to understand what I am saying. I am giving you an exit strategy. You might not like it, you might not want it, but it might not end up at nuclear war. So if you think this is real, and if the Central Intelligence Agency in some cockeyed way is trying to repeat their own screwed up version of the Bay of Pigs, and like the Bay of Pigs, it's equally successful, then what you're talking about is an actual escalation towards, frankly, nuclear war. Because at this point, Putin can't afford to play tit-for-tat conventional with us forever. He knows we can't either. And I also think that Putin and, frankly, the Chinese government and perhaps even other governments like India are in secret conversations about the possibility that in terms of the simple rules of what we call mutually assured destruction, the simple rules of that game theory. One of the premises is, is that all the players are rational, that you can make reasonable guesses about their basic motivations. That's part of the basic rules of game theory.
that there's not some hidden voodoo. It really is about what you get. What do I get? If I choose A versus B, what do I get? And the problem is, I'm not sure Putin or Z, if they're real people. Again, if they're real people, if you think the Ukraine war is real, if you think any of this is more than PSYOP bullshit, then I think they have to come to the conclusion that President Biden and whomever's in charge are not rational actors, which means by definition, there is no real prohibition on the choices given as far as optimal outcomes with respect to nuclear war. That's a fancy way of saying that in terms of the basic game theory of mutual assured destruction, something like an irrational player can disturb it. And, and so, so if you think this shit story of bullshit, this horror story, this complete drama, if you think all these videos, like the Wuhan videos, the old lady falling over, just like that, look at, look at somebody's dropping a chemical bomb on a Ukrainian, look at ISIS is beheading somebody. If you believe the shit that's coming out of the Ukraine, and you think it's real, and you think this Wagner thing is real, and it is actually sponsored by the CIA, which frankly seems like a rational choice, then you're looking at potentially days from a nuclear war. You really are. Because the bottom line is this. I don't think in terms of basic nuclear war theory that anybody opposed to the United States at this point can assume that the government is either unary in its decision making, which means there's one person making the decision, A, or B, that it's rational. And if it's irrational, and not unary, it means it's an unstable choice problem. It means basically you can't really figure out, you have no real way, you know, other than, you know, clandestine intelligence, you have no real way of knowing why they're going to do what they end up doing. So this is bad if it's real. And if I give you an escape hatch and I say, what if this is bullshit? What if this Wagner stuff is just another way to turn up the temperature on the Ukraine war without Putin actually ending it? Because I think I said this, and you can hold me accountable, but I think in at least April or May of 2022, I said, and this is a couple months into the war, I said, if this thing lasts much longer you know, than a few months, I'm going to have to call bullshit. There's really no excuse. All this will NATO stepped NATO stepped in. That's that doesn't sound right to me. The NATO argument doesn't sound right. It just doesn't. And when you look at how how we're doing things, you know, we're taking all these munitions, all these Stinger missiles, all these probably Hawks and all these National Guard weapons. I bet they're scouring National Guard sites for weapons and sending them to and can I just say, quote unquote, the Ukraine. And as far as I'm concerned, if it's heavy metal, the Ukraine is just as likely one of the deepest spots in the Atlantic Ocean. Okay? Because if I'm right about what's going on, if I'm right about what they pulled the trigger on in 2019, and how it is rational to presume 
they think it's bad since they're willing to gaslight billions of people to the point of madness and sickness and other things. Um, then they probably would expect a mutiny at some point. I'd expect a mutiny. I would. If this is a, if this is a psyop. If what they've been doing has been mostly lies up to this point, and that they're going to do the lie game right until the big whatever shows up. And like I said, brothers and sisters, I might have one or two crooked theories about what the big fuzzy event is, but I don't know for certain. It just seems like it's coming, and it's and it's near. And and a lot of these, these psyops they're doing, they just don't amount to much. They amount to a kind of just popcorn in a lot of ways. Little popcorn psyops. But the Russia thing, if it were real, is bad. If it's not real, then to me, the one of the great things about the Ukraine war is that you can get rid of all these weapons that the National Guard, that members of the military might use if they started to, to suspect that they had this thing called their oath and they needed to keep it if you know what I mean. And I won't say anything more than that, but if you really want to talk about oath-keeping, that's what I'm talking about. But if our government was afraid at some point that enough of the military would turn its own guns on its own government, then you really do want to get rid of small arms ammo, get rid of the rifles, get rid of the artillery, get rid of the tanks. Hell, you want to go to everybody's garrison, get rid of it, and then say, oh, but you're getting brand new tanks. They're Tesla tanks. They're powered by unicorn farts. It's entirely environmentally green and hypersonic resilient, and it's special, and it comes in three types of pastels. Yeah. That's your new M1 Abrams Delta Alpha Zebra X-Ray Love Mobile. If the war is real, if what we're seeing is basically in that realpolitik, you get the news that you get real, if in fact Wagner is in fact trying to lead a coup and the CIA is behind it, which I do think is a fair assumption if it's real, then you are looking at what could be the last few days before a nuclear war, if you think this is real. And I got to just get this out of my system so you understand I'm not trying to like deceive you. On the other hand, if you suspect this is just more bullshit like I do, then it's just it's just another way of keeping the temperature on it up. Because when you think about it, if it is bullshit and Putin is in on it, then that means this is just an easy way to have the trauma drama, but you don't really have to turn up the temperature in the Ukraine. Like if they, if you got people who've been on the set acting 24/7, some of them on a snuff flick, but not knowing it, um, you might want to give them a break, saying, "Hey, time out on set. You know, you guys have been making a great movie, but we're gonna have a little bit of a piece here while Wagner, probably playing Wagner, like something from The Ring." Like, you know, the ride of the Valkyrie bullshit. He's probably going to ride his, you know, KA-52 fucking helicopter, zebra, x-ray helicopter, power laser, super flying tanks. And he'll go down Moscow Boulevard and he'll shoot a missile right up Putin's butt if this is a movie. 
But life is probably not a movie. You know, it's probably not a movie. Probably not. It's sad, but it's true, my friends. Life is probably not a movie. Even though sometimes movies seem like life and life seems like movies, they are not the same. It's like in graph theory, you know, the difference between homomorphism and isomorphism. Well, if you knew the difference, you'd be teaching and not listening. <laughs> I don't fucking care. I just want to close out the Russia stuff. So you know, me personally, I would wager this is more PSYOP bullshit at this point. You know, if you think there's a great cabal, but they're trying to edge our way towards World War III, fine. Maybe that's what they want to do. They want to set up the story that gets us to nuclear war. And if this is the end times, it could be legit real. It could be. It could very much be. Again, I am no expert in prophecy. The problem with the prophecy is a lot of it might be out of sequence. So you have things like the Battle of Armageddon, but it really doesn't happen in the book of Revelation where you think it should happen. And so there's a lot of stuff where you have to say to yourself, what does this really mean? What is implied here? What is, when does this happen? And that's part of the problem with prophecy too in the Bible. You expect to get a date but you don't get a date. You get symbolism, you get meaning, you get association, and you could and you could call bullshittery if you wanted to, in that kind of Nostradamus sense. You could say, well, I could write a bunch of vague bullshit, which by the way, I did as a writing project and is on Amazon called Clown Adamus. I did it on an old blog for a while. I did some kind of random bullshit talking about the future crapola. It might have accidentally been true from a certain perspective. I just hope nobody took it seriously. Okay? Bottom line is, I don't know. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's bullshit. I don't know if it's something in between. And if they want to have a nuclear war, let me prepare you for something. Unless they have total control of every nuclear arsenal, the outcomes are going to be really unpredictable. And a lot of people think, they think, well, it'll be this bad and no worse. It's probably not possible to understand how bad it could be. If, in fact, you believe all of this is real, to include nuclear weapons. And here's why I'm going to throw this at you. I am not ready to jump over that particular river to the other side and say nuclear weapons are not real. But here's what I will say. It seems to be a powerful tool of fear because it's one of those things where it's like, but you don't have nukes. If you don't have nukes, you know, and, and, and then it becomes the ultimate, but what, do you think everybody should have nukes because they want to have an AR-15? And it's like, well, wait a minute. I don't know. So I don't want to spend much more time on this. If you think this war is real, then what's going on with the Wagner thing, if it's real, is bad. It's really destabilizing. 
it potentially could be just a few steps away from nuclear war because, frankly, we went through the conventional step. That's what we just went through. That's, in fact, what, what happened. And Putin isn't ready to, like, basically trust. I mean, here's the question. What if Putin doesn't trust that his people would want to fight a World War II? Then his only choice at this point is nuclear. Period. That's it. He doesn't have any other options. If he, if he says to himself, the Russian people are not prepared to give up millions for this particular fight, then what is the next step for the guy? He, well, he can go to the peace table. If it's real, if he's real, if the situation is real, the likelihood he goes to the, to the peace table is pretty low. And here's the other thing, too. I just got to get out of the way. As somebody who studied a little bit of Russian history, I can fairly say that Putin is not by far the worst they've ever had. They've had way worse, way worse, arguably pretty much every leader they've had in the last five or six hundred years has been worse. That's number one. And number two, the ones behind him, the ones who would take over, likely, it's not going to be the chess player. I'm sorry. It's not going to be the, the chemical magnet. It's not going to be any of the people from the fantasy stories you were told. The people that would be likely to take over after Putin, it would be nice to call them hardliners. Actually, I think it's way worse than that atavistic. And a lot of them would just assume trigger a nuclear war out of spite, out of a sense of what the United States did in the past for grievances that are programmed into them. Listen, you may think they're wrong. It, that's really very fucking irrelevant. They think they're right. They're right about their grievances and they point the finger at us. And there's a lot of them who would just as soon pull the trigger even if it meant their world got destroyed. And these are the people that stand in line after Putin. So you should really think on that question. If you're, well, damn, we have to destroy Putin. It's like, whoa. What, what kind of reality do you think you control at this point? If any of this is real. If I'm right, and this is mostly bullshit, we should know by the end of summer. Because the whole thing will cool off again. They could even go into a period of some type of armistice so that they can turn up the temperature again in, let's say, April or May. And if you're wondering, does that, is that somehow congruent with issues that might involve the permafrost and the Arctic? Well, shit. If I'm right a couple years in a row, it seems like a pattern. But needless to say... If I'm right, the whole war exists to basically create another part of the world where, frankly, any type of third-party journalism that's real is impossible. And you say, well, I saw somebody do a documentary about the Arctic two weeks ago. You saw somebody approved, okay? You didn't see random fucking people able to go up there and do that. I'm sorry you didn't. I think the whole place is probably on lockdown at this point. And what you see... Is, is, is a lot of control, like a lot of old videos, a lot of bullshit. I don't think that they're remotely telling us the truth. I remember seeing the pictures and videos from 2017. And the problem is what you're looking at in 2017 is not a linear process. 
And I, I, I hope I don't have to exp explain to my listeners what not linear means. So when I say, well, it might not be nuclear war and I can give you an escape hatch, you might not want mine because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you did. There's no reason to feel guilt. But there is the absolute imminence that life is what life is and nature is what nature is. And we may think we're special, but we're not altogether that special, really, especially if you're an atheist. So who knows what the fuck this war is, right? If it's fake, it's another thing that's being used to cover up something else. If it's real, it's bad enough. And it could point to, to yeah, nuclear war. And you would expect a lot of things to just go bad quickly if that's where we end up. Um, it won't just be electromagnetic pulse knocking out systems. It's going to be a lot of cities just wiped off the face of the map. And that includes every highway, every fiber optic cable, every power line. Everything that goes into that city in, in a super network of infrastructure, well, that all gets destroyed too. All the railway heads, all the places where you would switch lines, all of that's gone. All of it's just disappeared. You're talking about toxifying the earth, probably for a very long time. And frankly, it's going to be, where do you live? Where's the wind? Does the fallout get to you? There will be fallout and it will poison a lot of the land. That's also true. Um, people talk about limited nuclear war. And I think limited nuclear war is wishful thinking. Because ultimately, the, the, the logic of nuclear war is vicious. It's basically this. If you don't use your weapon, you're not going to get to. So the logic of basic nuclear war is use the weapon. Now, of course, you could argue that there have been folks, and I always forget this guy's name, but, but he shares a name with a great architect, so I get him mixed up. Um, but he, he did work for the RAND Corporation, and he wrote a book called, I think it was On Nuclear War, and he talked about the idea of limited nuclear war and stages of nuclear war. And again, I say, this is a lot of wishful thinking. There's a couple things about nuclear war at this point. Lots of dead man switches, which means systems that will pull the trigger if nobody tells them to stop. This includes command and control for things like submarines and ICBMs. Um, and there is the basic problem of... If I don't do something, I won't get to do something. Use it or lose it. In a lot of ways, that's what makes nuclear war kind of vicious, is that it is a use it or lose it type of conflict, because there will become a point where you just won't be able to push the button. And let's get that out of the way. Here's You want to hear the good news about nuclear war? A lot of their weapons won't work. A lot of our weapons won't work. I think we could write off 20% of the weapons in our arsenal and theirs that won't work. There's your first good news point. I think that's true. I also think it's possible that our government hasn't been able to replace tritium in our nuclear stockpile for a few decades. And you could say, well, how bad is that? Well, basically, it's like taking 80 to 90% 
of our nuclear stockpile and saying it no longer exists. And the reason why I suspect this is there's been weird articles. Like there are these articles back in 20, I think 2018, about how Trump was going to these five kiloton weapons on submarines. And the, and the, and the reason why five kiloton is interesting is five kilotons would be roughly the scale of, a, of, a, of an initiator of the fission device that actually raises the temperature, I think, of the, the deuterium and tritium to, to the temperature of fusion, which creates the actual thermonuclear explosion. You see a hydrogen bomb is a multi-stage bomb. There's the conventional portion that compresses the plutonium to the point that slow neutrons cause chain reaction. You have the fission explosion itself. That superheats, I think, primarily tritium, but also deuterium. And, you know, with a little bit of magic and, and alchemy, you have yourself a hydrogen bomb explosion, a little piece of the sun. You know. but, but that tritium has to be replaced. It has a very fast half-life. And it has to be replaced, I think, every 15 years, I think. Um, so there you go. There's another possibility that, that, at least in the case of our stockpile, we might not have the weapons we think we have. I don't know if that's good news or bad news, because the enemy doesn't really know. And there's still going to be a bunch of these 5 and 10 and 20 kiloton bombs going off. And it will be basically like a lot of little Hiroshima's. So from a perspective of destruction and pain, it's still going to be pretty horrible. Um, you know. I, I've already spent, holy crap, I spent 30 minutes on this fucking random thought about Russia because I just wanted to get it out of the way. It's just, it does torment me a little because... And maybe it's, this, is, this is even egotistical. Because I want to say, I told you my opinion before it happened. But why does that fucking matter? I don't think this is real in the sense of an organic historical event. And therefore, I don't think it has to follow the logic of, well, there, we're, you know, it's World War III and we're going to send in the 82nd Airborne and they're going to push the button. I don't know that we have to end up there. But if you do think this is real, then what's going on with the Wagner thing is kind of dangerous. And let's just say this before I close it out, you know. If you go back to 19, that period, 1989 to like, let's say 1993, that roughly four year period, which was a transitional period. It was, there wasn't like a day where you'd say the communist switch was turned off. And some would even argue today it's still not totally off. But the bottom line is there was a transitional period. And there were a lot of people back then who were concerned, who saw the world in that kind of Bismarckian, realpolitik kind of way that some bozo would get a hold of a nuke and use it, you know, for whatever reason and that that could accidentally trigger nuclear war. I think this is the, what I will say. The people who think about this rationally will tell you that conventional World War III is mostly a come-as-you-are war. Most of the weapons we use are craft weapons at this point. They might be really great, but they're craft, which means that you really can't make them at any rapid, you know, high speed. You're not going to be pushing out the numbers you did during World War II. 
And you can come back and say, but one of my B2s is worth eight billion of your B17s. And that might be true. But, but still, the same missile might destroy both. Um, I don't know. Back in the world, Cold War days, come as you are war, that's what it was thought. I need to go to the next topic, though, because I'm garbage. So, I don't know what's going to happen with the podcast. And I have no evidence that this would ever be successful. And I have every reason to believe that if I didn't believe the things I was, if I did not believe the things I'm saying, if I were disingenuous or lying to you or deceiving you and being lurid on purpose or being scary to scare you, um, then it's a foolish way to make money because I'm, I'm basically trying to sound sincere. And, and the problem is I'm not really trying to grift you in any functional way, at least at least if I am, it's a fairly soft grift, right? And I could be wrong. I have a feeling in the next year, maybe the next two years, I will find out if I'm right or wrong. And, and I don't mean about the big whatever. It could be anything. I mean, it's the nature of the big whatevers. They could be any kind of beast. But that, that there is something there and that it is not that far off in the future. That's essentially where I'm at. And I'm at the point where I think they knew about it decades ago. And I'm at the, at the point where I think they're using military psychological warfare to manage people with respect to it. Um, but you put all that on the table, you still have this middle-aged dude who's probably going to end up trying to figure out how to live pretty soon with whatever's in a backpack. And you could say, well, it's not the end of the world, but I didn't really see myself ending up here. I, I kind of had this idea it would either be not this or frankly, just more abrupt, you know, kind of like that day I slipped. Um, wow, a lot like that day I slipped. No, but yeah, the day I slipped and I broke my arm and I could have, it could have been my head. Instead of it being my left arm, it could have been my head. It could have very well been the back of my head. As any sniper will tell you, it could have been the switch and I could have been just dead. And stuff happens. People are born, people die. I know I say that a lot, but I just, I wonder too if people have really come to understand this. You know, but in all this, um, I'm trying to keep my spirits up. It's not really going very well. I, I'll tell you, I feel like garbage right now, but it would be a lie to say that this is the only time I've ever felt that way. And it would also be a lie to say that it's only been times where I didn't have resources that I felt this way. Um, for many years, when I was working as a software engineer, I felt like garbage. 
because in one way, I felt like I was supposed to be the hero that saves the day. And, you know, that's a great role if you want to get really stressed out and have a heart attack. But what I also found out, and, and it became generally true, that when I really expressed where I was coming from on stuff, it wasn't really welcome. It was like I was garbage pail man. You know, you go fix the shit, you go deal with whatever's broken. If there's going to be a fancy new situation, you don't need to worry about it. You're garbage man. And so do I feel like garbage now the way I did maybe 20 years ago when I was getting into software engineering and I was experiencing some of this bullshit? And do I say to myself, who, the, who and what am I? Because again, I had gigs where it wasn't so bad. But it was always some type of fuckery. And you, you ended up saying to yourself, why am I here other than a paycheck? Why am I here? What am I doing here? Some situations more absurd than others, you know. And it's not your problem. It's not your problem. The fact that I have self-esteem issues, the fact that I feel like the, the king of mediocrity, the fact that I look back upon my life and I don't see much of anything, or that I give a shit that there would have been, it's also not your fucking problem. I mean, I wonder so much about those weird steps you go down. Like, how did I decide to start the podcast? And why did I think anybody would give a fuck? And it starts out kind of just subtle, like, well, why don't you get yourself a presence on YouTube? Why don't you go on to some type of podcasty? Get yourself a blog. Man, I've had a couple blogs so far. And frankly, the first two were more or less destroyed by GoDaddy. Fucking A. I'm. <sighs> Who am I? Not always a savvy customer, I'll say that. So I feel like garbage, so what? So I think to myself, I'm just somebody who can be treated that way and, and did that event with the police make me feel that way and and maybe even dan this is your moment of empathy where you can understand the african-american community and i would say yeah probably because this doesn't really happen to me that often 
But when I think about living in Seattle in 2020, every day felt like that. Like it wasn't like every day there was a cop, but every day felt like that. Every day in that wretched fucking city felt exactly like that. beat a dead horse okay i don't want to be just mr depressing i know that i can be depressing sometimes but um you you have these moments in your life where you say to yourself maybe it's possible that you're going to figure out a way and you'll fit but there is this absolute bleakness of recognition that whatever is the truth if this is something that's going to come to an end, if this is the infinite gray nothing, if this just drifts on forever with mediocre bullshit and nothing means anything, whatever is true, you still look in the mirror and you see the same person. And it's not a person you're proud of. And it's not a person you're ecstatic about. And it's not a person you say, oh, you don't have any regrets. I know there are people that say that to other people, but they're pretty much liars and sociopaths. But it doesn't mean you have to dwell on it. And it doesn't mean it has to be your focus. It's just, I guess one of the things that came out yesterday morning with those cops was this feeling that I'm garbage. Which is going to make the next topic weirdly upsetting, off-putting, orthogonally weird, um, perpendicular, probably something else. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles. I'm trying to be hopeful in the weirdest way possible. I'm trying to be hopeful in the weirdest way possible. If there are spacecraft heading for Earth then at least you can say there are spacecraft. If there are dinosaurs, if there are dinosaurs that they mutate in a lab to make some kind of steak burger, but then they take over sectors of South America, at least you can say, look at this, there are dinosaurs. I'm trying to be hopeful in the weirdest way possible. If somebody told me there's going to be a disease that wipes everybody out, that gets rid of everybody, that all the Sklumpton folk and the Grimulac, all the Fleegan and the Flog 
all the Sector 12s, Greaves, all of them gone. And you say to me, Dan, it'll just be you and maybe like, I don't know, uh, all like uh, underwear models or something. I'm trying to be hopeful in the weirdest way possible. It's a weird world, people. When I pulled the trigger with my listeners back in November, I think, December 2019, and I said, here we are, great discontinuity, shit's about to get weird. Well, shit is weird. Um, and it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And really strange possibilities exist. And if we had the courage could we live in a world that could confront these challenges that might be there and confront them in an intelligent way? Absolutely. There's only one problem. You have to live in a free world. You can't live in this crooked dystopia. You can't live like this. You can't be lied to and you can't be gaslit. My theory is simple. A, they could be wrong. And B, even if they're right, they're still lying to us about it. And we should know the truth, whatever it is. They could be wrong, which is important. Government's often wrong. Um, and even if they turned out to be true, the best way to deal with it is openly. I don't care what it is. Could be, I mean, I don't think it's an asteroid because why would you do psyops like this for an asteroid? But let's say they expect some caldera volcano to go kablooey and to kick off the next ice age. That's a fuzzy event. But why do they assume there aren't people who could come up with a crazy idea that might help us? Why do they assume only special people they select will solve the problem? The lack of freedom in a human ecosystem is an extinction-level event. It might not kill every person immediately, but you got to have it. you got to have it or everybody goes away. So I'm trying to be hopeful in the weirdest way possible. And it may involve a battle with the demon freaks of the busty realm of Quadrant Zebra Bravo Charlie Delta Whiskey. Maybe a double whiskey. And we'll ride upon the plains of Gord upon creatures made of light and sand. And their fire streams will be our guardians in the time to come. Because frankly, I'm trying to be hopeful in the weirdest way possible. Okay? Next topic, because that was silly. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles. And I got to check my time. I'm not doing good on time. I'm being a bastard of time. I will say I want to live my life. I don't threaten you. 
And the freaks will say, that's no ideology. And the reason? Because it doesn't involve killing a shitload of people. You want an ideology? You want a philosophy? You want a worthy belief? You want a book of truths? You gotta go kill people. You see, if you simply came up to me on the street and said, Dan, how do you want to live? Well, I want to be left alone and I don't threaten you. And if there's a way we can deal with each other nonviolently, let's do it. And that's it. And if there's a problem, let's try to solve it. And we don't need to create a dictatorship or a king. We don't have to have the knights of the fucking round bullshit. We can just get together voluntarily solve the problem. And if there are people who don't want to participate, guess what? You are better off without them. Okay? Period. That's how that should work. Is that an ideology? Is that a philosophy? Is that anarchism? I simply want to live in a free society. I want to participate in free markets. I want to use gold and silver as my money. Fuck you. I don't care if you think Bitcoin is better. I want to make my own choices. Period. And if they are outside your definition of money, I don't know how to put it, too bad. Guess what? In a free world, people are going to be using baseball cards as currency too. So sorry. And stamps. And paintings. And bottles of wine. And priceless art of, of many sorts. And definitely property if it's in a place that's kind of stable. But a lot of places aren't going to be stable. So you're better off building a steam-powered armored home, as they say. Anyways. People with philosophies will get cornered. And you'll say, we cornered you, we cornered you, and we made you admit that the only way you're going to get what you want is through violence. But what you got to do is look at their faces. Because usually there's this little smirk, this little smile. There's almost glee in the way they respond. They're not angry. They're not upset. They're like, you know, exuberant. They're filled with energy. Okay? When you, when you go to these people, I don't care if they're Marxist, Communist, Leninist. I don't care if they're Jim Joneses. I don't care if they're into Charles Manson or Theodore Kaczynski. I don't care if they're into the man on the moon or any of that other garbage period. Or the government or voting, to be honest with you. When you corner them on the question of Okay, but what if you got to kill a bunch of people? There's always that little smirk. And it's like, well, I don't care. And, and usually, they're, they're going to say they're garbage people. I've sat around tables of liberal intellectuals. This isn't just about conservatives. You sit around those tables, and they'll identify groups of people as garbage people. And so will conservatives. And they'll say, well, we don't care what happens to them. If they go up in smoke, who gives a fuck? 
You see, my belief system, my ideology, in no way demands or expects mass murder. But it does seem like a lot of people, Marxists, Nazis, fuck A, even libertarians these days, their belief system requires a lot of people to die. Even if it's as simple as, well, we got to kind of obey the COVID monkey herpes psyop, because if we don't, everyone's going to, grandma's going to die. Even if it's just the, the simple sin of an observable ignorance, okay? That's the state of things. That's where we're at. Pretty much all their belief systems involve some sort of butcher's bill. And that's not the way it should be. And, and that's not the way America was supposed to be, but it's, it's where we ended up. And I don't think it would be fair um, to say it's new. I think it goes back almost to the beginning. You know. Manifest destiny was definitely an ideology that involved killing a shitload of people. Just understand that that's a part of American history, baby. Part of American history. People don't get it, but they will one day in the time of Grumptus. Taglon area Mormons are joining the time Amish. The Amish worshipers of Pennsylvania that have begun to build old-timey steam, steampunky time machines from abandoned workhorses and old steam tractors and color TV sets. The time Amish are drifting through time, bringing forth the total justice of a purity of the heart. The time Amish are joining forces with Taglon Mormons who want to use laser cannons to destroy the old tribe. And amongst the elders, there's a general rebuke that all the Zoltan freaks should go back to the gold mine, the dream mine, the sacred mine. You got shares in the dream mine. You got nothing, Utah. You got nothing. Zeb. The Turb Warden was responsible for the 23 gangs of Scompton. He led ruthlessly as the tired people wished for their own wrath. He had fist gurgans and various dog sleevers, and he had all types of weird hairless tigers and bears and mutants and crocodiles, and he'd send them out against all the poor people in the buildings because he just didn't like the poor people. Zeb. But one day, the people would find their own wrath in the form of George McGrath. He would be the hero of the underfolk. He was the one that was foretold. He came from the swamps east of Scompton. He found himself stuck in Gringontown, looking for a way out, and he was going to help his people rise up against Zeb, the Turb Warden.
Maybe I do hit the streets and I end up in some zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day kind of crap universe or dimension. Maybe because I go down the right storm drain. Maybe it'll be like that indie horror film from a decade or so ago called Yellow Brick Road. I just head up to New Hampshire or head up someplace in New England and get up on some side road and go deep, deep, deep into the forest until I'm lost to time and space and the compass don't help me and, and there ain't no more human race and all that's left is the theater of pain. And maybe I'll find some ancient passage to a busty kingdom of wench maidens who inguzzlate themselves in gel baths for three hours a day, and it's on cable TV there 24-7. Maybe. Maybe. Jorgen Skeeves have a chance, if given a chance. Jorgen Skeeves would have a chance if you gave him a chance. It's true that he just came back from the, the Strobelobe Wars and how he fought the various types of hairy freaks on Mars. And it's also true that he's covered in tumors and boils and various types of, of scrumbozoid parasites and the things that attach to you in deep space. Jorgen Skeeves would have a chance if you gave him a chance. He could clean the toilet. He could clean the kitchen. He could clean the pots and pans. He could clean the glasses and the cars. He could clean out the bars. He could mop the floors and make sure there's a bed for the whores. If Jorgen Skeeves got a chance. If he gave him a chance. Durla is hoping for a late night lover. She walks the streets from cafe to cafe looking all majestic and special in her nice little knit outfit, carrying her little book bag. Sure, it's conspicuous that we can see Zarathustra. Durla is looking for that special kind of lover that she can take back home to her not-quite-high-rise apartment four flights off the floor, four flights up. Ain't no elevator. It's all stairwell. And Durla is hoping to find you. Durla is broken. She's been broken by society. She's been broken by mankind. Durla is broken. She's been broken by her boyfriends and her father and her grandfather and all of her uncles and all of her nephews and all of her cousins all of the ones that did her wrong. Durla's broken.
But Derla is hoping for a late night lover. And she will take him home to her cat named 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 Frisky. Named Mr. Frisky. Yeah, Mr. Frisky. And Derla will use her KitchenAid to chop up this late night lover into a special kind of fancy feast. And you'll say it's horrifying and grotesque. And why couldn't you tell us the whole sordid tale of them drinking a cocktail, martini type thingy, maybe listening to a song, maybe dancing really romantically. But the truth is, this guy's simply going to end up as cat food. Because Derla's broken. And she's hoping for a late night lover. There was a ship called the Jerry McDorbo out of Boston. And it is a great mystery in Chicago. There was a ship called the Jerry McDorbo out of Boston. And it is a great mystery in Chicago. There was a night in 1887 where the Jerry McDorbo left Boston for New York City and it expected to reach New York City in just a few hours. But instead, it ended up in Lake Michigan near Chicago. People said that a great vortex opened up, a tunnel through space and time, through which the Jerry McDorbo transferred itself, dematerialized through the universe to end up in Chicago, but it was worse than that. They ended up in Chicago in 1687 when there really wasn't a Chicago. Maybe there was a little village called Schittsburg. And maybe some French people traded with the natives there in Schittsburg. The poor ship, the sinking of the Jerry McDorbo is a mystery in Chicago. The Doom Pistol became the Lord Gamma Charge, and all flood filth would coexist with the Girdlefish. Once the oceans were drained, once the ponds were drained, once the rivers were drained, once the lakes were drained, once all the aquifers were drained, once everything was drained, there'd be the Girdlefish. They'd be covered in mollusks. They'd be covered in poison. They would attack you with pain. They rolled over the scorpion. They had eyes of fire. They fought for the ocean. They fought for the rain. And now they're coming for you, motherfucker. Yeah, you're flood filth, but you cannot coexist with the girdlefish. They will not accept your human zombazoid behaviors. They will not accept your takeout pizza.
The time of the Doom Pistol has already made things such that Lord Gamma Charge will have to try to force a peace, but there'll be no peace between the Flood Filth and the Girdle Fish. And what of noise? The ultimate encryption is noise. The ultimate decentralization is noise. The ground state of all information is noise. Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, all these things are noise. The sounds you make when you make love or masturbate is noise. The roar of a cold-launched ICBM or SLBM is noise. We are noise dragons and beams. We are love danger and sex oil dreams. We are the gold that is traded for all the parrot schemes. We are the monkey priest seeking after virgins. And we hope to find them in Grinkentown. We are alive. We can find joy. But the Doom Quadrant is near. And the various controls are all in place. For the Doom Quadrant is near. This is the fuel stake that savers. This is the gasoline princess. This is the Zone Quadrant Region Doom. And those of us that still live here and still exist in Boblimdok, we are free if we want to be. Dan, that sounds crazy. Okay. Well, here's the, here's the next topic. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles, and I know I'm already way over time here, but I, need, I want to just finish these topics off. If you approach the cop situation believing there's a rule of law, you are wrong since at least 2020, Dr. Freckles. Let's get a few things out of the way. Mayberry was a fictional place in a TV show. I know that there are lots of cop shows and it's not accidental where the cops are mostly heroes and yeah, every once in a while there's a bad cop 
but he's like, you know, he's the bad apple, and the, the rest of the tree is good. Yeah. Um, Mayberry was a fictional place. Let's just accept this. Police and security forces in various forms have always been tools of power, period. If you, if you thought there was a magical time where, the, where it was the cop's job to look out for your rights and shit, <laughs> no. I mean, if somebody's robbing a bank, the cop is going to try to protect the money in the bank, and they will try to capture the thieves. But are they going to be deeply concerned about a high-speed chase where you end up getting pancaked? Not so much. I also think that, that the people in charge are starting to experience what can only be conservatively called imperial collapse, which means that the center is not holding. That whether they like it or not, all their petrodollar point-a-gun-at-a-country schemes are starting to not work. Because you just, you know, it's kind of like what Napoleon said. The one thing you can't do with bayonets is sit on them. And that's, that's really the problem of the petrodollar foreign policy, is that you have to be willing to continuously be at war. And that's going to burn out a society, whether you like it or not. That type of endless war. The wars that go on forever. It's a war on terror, Dan. We're going after the terrorists. And, and where? Syria? Anywho, to get back to the main subject, if you approach a police situation believing there's a rule of law, you are wrong. But it's worse than that. If you approach a cop situation believing that the old rules of the game, because frankly, you and I could maybe agree there never was a rule of law. It was always a broken kind of partial bias system. It was always that. It was never the thing we were, it was never the mythology. So you could, you could come back and say there was never a rule of law. But what you could also say is it was always a game. And, and if you understood it to be a game, then you could still theoretically avoid jail. You could still theoretically find your way through. It's, it wouldn't be cheap, but you know that's also part of the way the game works. Don't hate the player, hate the game, right? But I don't think that works any longer either, for lots of reasons. I think that's breaking down. I think that kind of, you know, grifter economics of the system is no longer, how can I put this, paying out to make the risk worth it. So basically, I think you're beginning to see the system kind of fall apart that way. Um, that's just my theory. I could be wrong. Even if you think police are randomly selected and there's not some particular group of people that they would prefer to be police, it's still a lot of power to give any person. And you could say, well, Dan, what are you supposed to do? Let murderers? No. I think you should have an armed society. And I think if you have to form a posse voluntarily to take care of a murder, 
or a murderer that you suspect is a murderer, this is something you can do. And if you want to be wise, you could even have a place you can put that person while you give them a chance for a trial. But the ultimate reality is you'd probably still do better than the current system, in my opinion. Um, Dan, that, that'd be like lynch mobs. I don't know. Anthony Fauci. Even if he's fake, understand this. Even if he's a walking, talking, acting faker, and none of the stuff about him is true, he is still participating as a faker in something that's harming people. And at the scale he's doing it, it's not, unra it's not a rounding error. You're talking about thousands of people who make a decision that harms themselves because of the shit he participates in. And that's even assuming he's fake, right? I don't think the game works any longer. So if you go into the cop situation, we'll say, well, at least, Dan, there's the game. And if they don't treat me a certain way, they could get in trouble. What if it's not that simple? What if they got tech that can block your mobile phone? What if they just end up picking your body up and dumping you someplace? You don't know. I mean, the fact is, at this point, when you encounter the police in a public setting, you should consider yourself lucky. But if you encounter them in a setting that's even quasi-private, I think you should consider your life in danger. That's my opinion. Um, that something might happen to you. And I, at this point, if you were to say, well, Dan, you know, I mean, really, but if you were to say that maybe the police aren't that bad and maybe it's not that bad yet i would i would get i would let you get away with it only with the exception that it can get that bad really really fast I don't know what to say more than about than that. I think you need to be really fucking careful. Don't, let me put it this way. There are a lot of these YouTube videos that tell you just to say things like, I don't, you know, just don't answer questions. You know, do what, what you have the rights to under the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And even if we were in the old game, I would say that could work in a lot of cases. Even if there's not really a rule of law, there is the game, and according to the game, they have to play it a certain way. I would agree, but I just don't think we're there. I totally think a lot of these guys have the tech built into their cruisers to block your mobile devices. So if they want to you know, basically prevent you from live streaming shit, I think they got the tech to do it. And, I, and I'd also be willing to wager that a lot of these guys at this point are just kind of in a weird place, almost a nihilistic place. So you just, you have no idea what they might do. You really don't. If you think that they're going to think in a rational way, it's kind of like that conversation 
we were having at the beginning of the podcast about World War III. If you believe the cop is rational, fine. But after three years of this bullshit they've been doing, I'd say half the people you run into are probably not in a very good place. So you decide there on your own. And here's our last topic, a quote from Dr. Freckles. Necessity is the mother of necessity. <laughs> I don't know. This, uh, this sounds like something that maybe if James Howard Kunzler were drunk, he might say. But no, um, what does that mean? Necessity is the mother of necessity. Well, actually, this kind of connects us to that whole Amish thing. And no, I, there are no Amish time travelers. But um, there's something to be said for a certain type of conservatism because it avoids a kind of natural escalation. Now, the others would call you a Luddite. They would. They'd say, Dan, technology is supposed to do the Moore's Law singularity bullshit, and we're all going to be traveling to Mars and eating Frito bars and drinking all kinds of things in space cars, and we'll, be, and we'll travel beyond the stars, and we'll have babies, bubba babies, in Alpha Centauri, fuck you, Dan. The technological optimist will usually, usually weave you a tale that even if there are currently challenges, whether it's resource issues like peak oil or, you know, natural environment issues that we might not fully understand at this point, like, for example, what I think might be going on in the Arctic, which may have zero to do with any of us or anybody you've ever known. It might have been something that was always going to happen and it was always going to suck. That's, that's my baseline theory, if that's what that is. But the bottom line is, you know, there are people who would tell you that technology is the path to enlightenment, that technology is the way in which humans become like God, you know, that technology is the ultimate liberation. There are people who would tell you this, you know, call them transhumanist if you want to, call them whatever you want to, call them, call them part of the technocracy. But they think technology and science will completely liberate people from those earthly things that hold us back. Um, and then there are other people and I wouldn't call them Luddites, but I'd say they're a lot like me, who would say that necessity is the mother of necessity. And a good example is the smart device. I honestly think it has so invaded people's consciousness and their cognition and their brain space that they have actually given up some of their ability to think about the world to a piece of technology because it seemed like it was a necessity that the thing they needed to have kept needing to have. You know, in this case, data. You know, data and control. Um, so it sounds absurd. Necessity is the mother of necessity. But there is a kind of positive feedback. I mean, you could say things like, you know, 
when is enough enough? I could tell you with me. I could tell you what I'd want, what I'd need. And I could explain why there would always be a limit. And does that mean I wouldn't mind having a few luxuries? Who fucking wouldn't? I, I would love to have a 50-foot Chris Craft constellation, fully restored, 1960s vintage, outfitted with a modern diesel engine capable of taking biodiesel, specially outfitted with, you know, Kevlar enhanced hull, super strong hull, and other types of technologies to make it amazing. Including a little sailing mast. So if you needed to sail a little, you could with it. Just a little. Wouldn't be great at it, but it could do it a little. And a little sometimes, no. If you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, you should know that there is a chance I will be um, homeless in a few weeks, and I don't know when or if I'll be able to podcast after that. I, I don't know what technology I'll be able to take with me. I'm not really sure. It's just something that could happen, so you should know that. Um, it's not what I want, but... A lot of people are confronting things right now they don't really want, and that's just the way it is. Um. And in my case, as in many cases, you know, nobody's to blame. It's just life. Life happens. And a lot of people I know, like myself, aren't necessarily magically tethered to reality that other folks are. That's a nice way to put it. Our tethers are not so strong. And so we can end up, and we often are, tossed about by the sea. And it's okay, it's okay, it's life. Um, but if you listen to this podcast, you should know that could happen. I'd also say make sure, make sure you take care of your food, your water, your shelter. If there are people in your life that need help, help them first. If you're setting aside food, like let's say six months, because like I said, if it's going to be worse than that kind of scenario, there just ain't going to be a basement big enough. But um, whatever the amount you're setting aside for yourself, make sure you set aside that for your pet, your dog, your cat, etc. But I, my, my heart's out there for the dog. Okay. And on top of it, understand that we're in a weird place, but it doesn't mean it's like the end of the world. We're just in a weird place, a, a weird moment in history, I'd argue. You know, we are in the great discontinuity. A lot of weird, crazy shit could and will happen. You know, and who knows? It could even be bigger than that. It could be that we're in the final point, the 
the final punctuation mark with respect to the Christian epic. It could be the case that we're on the verge of the end times. I don't know. I have no idea. I have my faith, and I have the Bible, and I have prayer, and I can, you know, ask and pray, where are we at, Lord? And he can give me a sense, but I don't know. All I can tell you is, honestly, if it's a situation where you should have more than six months worth of food, then like I said, I just don't know that there are basements that will be big enough. I think, it's, I think you're talking about a pretty dire situation, basically, at that point. Because it really isn't just about your supply of food. It's about other people who probably didn't even have a month's worth, you know. You know. And, and I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, make sure you think about your dog. And, and I don't think that we're talking about the end of the world, as I keep trying to remind people. So try to find some happiness and some joy. Because just because, you know, it's not the end of the world, it doesn't mean that now isn't a good time to just do stuff you've been putting off. Like, for example, contacting people you haven't spoken to. Stuff like that, you know. And, and if you need to spend a little money to do things like that, to reach out to people, or even just to go see a movie and have fun, do that first, before you donate to my podcast. Um, but if you've done all that, you've done all that, and you've done all the hookers and cocaine and methadrine meth dreams and all the blue, blueies and greenies and reddies, if you've done them all and you've been down every hole and you still have so much gold in your bowl... And you say to yourself, Dan, I'm a Texas billionaire, and all I really want to do is make you comfortable right up till the end. Then you can, Mr. Texas billionaire. Yes, you can, Mr. Texas Billionaire. You go ahead and donate. Donate as much or as little as you want to. I really, right now is one of those Hail Mary moments in my life where I'm just trying to understand, A, is there a way out for me? And B, does it even fucking matter? And I know that sounds horrible, but you have to understand it's more than just the kind of nihilistic angst. It is a general sense that if we are, at a certain point in the story, vis-a-vis -vis my faith, then does it really matter? I'm not saying I don't need money. I do. It's just that things could unfold in the not-too-distant future that would make a lot of this pretty fucking irrelevant. And you can read that however you want to. But until then, until kingdom come, until all things unfold... Until we do travel to another planet and meet the busty Venusian mistress beastress women of Sector 49 Z-Uniform. Until those great days of the great goblet feast 
where they would dance about and engundulate themselves in their bikini star dresses with their titubulations. Until those times come upon us when the great Buvula brings forth its froth and it becomes injuicified. Until that time, will you be ready? Will you be ready? So yeah, if you want to donate, you can. You don't have to. Do I need the money? Sure. How much do I need? A lot. Like at this point, I'd have to figure out a way to convince somebody to give me a lease. And at this point, it seems like I'd have to pay the lease up front in the very least. And so probably several thousand dollars, maybe, at least. And even then, I still don't, I still haven't answered the question, what next? Because I could stay here. You know, I have some good friends here, people I care about, and I really do care about the dogs. Um, but this is their life too, you know, and I, and I really was, you know, not a mean person, but an intruder. And in a lot of ways, like I said, this is something that was probably always going to happen. It's just that in, you know, in my head, there was always that fantasy that things could turn out different. It, it's not hopefulness. It's just, it is just fantasy. Because it's completely disconnected from reality. Things are going to unfold for me as they'll unfold for you. It is Saturday, June the 24th, 2023, Bo Blimp Dock. It is just after 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time in Scompton, Utah. We have delved deep into the dark topics of that forbidden soul. Someplace ugly, or somebody really scary, in a jumpsuit, pushes a button, turns a key. It's World War III. They drop the big one. It's a big old nuke. They take out Dubuque. Yes, indeed, if it's going to be a nuclear holocaust, at least have your hot dogs ready. The neutron cooking radiation will get them nice and crisp. You'll enjoy your hot dogs after the bombs go off at your outdoor barbecue because everything will be nice and toasty. And if you become a mutant from one of the forbidden zones, afraid to look into a pond for the fear of seeing your reflection... If you become so covered in disfigurements and inglumiations and tumors and recessions and quadrations, if the pustules and the boils and, and, 
and other bamboozlements, you know, disconform your structure to make you into some kind of freak. Remember that in the future, after a nuclear war, you'll be able to read minds. And you'll also be able to control people. And maybe, in all that madness, you'll become the doom pistols.